favorites and unfavorites. I complained last time about my growing intolerance for all the angst, languidness, and empty resolutions. These chapters did test that patience a little more still. After he discovers the corpse of Elizabeth, Victor cries, yet again, quote, Great God, why did I not then expire? Why am I here to relate the destruction of the best hope and the purest creature on earth? Unquote. After he tries in vain to follow the monster's tracks, he falls again into fever. Quote, I attempted to accompany them and proceeded a short distance from the house, but my head whirled round, my steps were like those of a drunken man, I fell at last in a state of utter exhaustion. A film covered my eyes, and my skin was parched with the heat of fever. Unquote. And then, when he tries to row home to Geneva into helpless passivity, quote, but the overflowing misery I now felt, and the excess of agitation that I endured, rendered me incapable of any exertion. I threw down the oar, and leaning my head upon my hands, gave way to every gloomy idea that arose." Unquote. He calls in the same language and with the same fervency that has never before yielded action or results for revenge. Quote, I was possessed by a maddening rage when I thought of him, and desired and ardently prayed that I might have him within my grasp to wreak a great and signal revenge on his cursed head. Unquote. And later, in the graveyard, quote, By the sacred earth on which I kneel, by the shades that wander near me, by the deep and eternal grief that I feel, I swear. And by thee, O night, and the spirits that preside over thee, to pursue the demon who caused this misery, until he or I shall perish in mortal conflict. Unquote. I did a search, and to be fair, the previous times it wasn't mortal conflict, he avowed, but mortal combat and mortal strife. But though my patience for his impotent whimpering may have worn thin, there was plenty in these chapters to justify the novel's inclusion in the Read With Me collection. I have repeatedly praised this novel's poetry— and the challenge of writing summaries that feel true to its lyrical flow. I wanted to take a closer look at just one passage in these chapters by way of illustration. Quote, a ground sea was heard. The thunder of its progress, as the waters rolled and swelled beneath me, became every moment more ominous and terrific. I pressed on, but in vain. The wind arose, the sea roared, and, as with the mighty shock of an earthquake, it split and cracked with a tremendous and overwhelming sound. Unquote. I sometimes feel, when I'm reading Shelley's lines, like I ought to have a conductor who helps me to modulate the fall and swell to match the orchestration of her sentences. The ground sea was heard. The waters rolled and swelled, became more ominous and terrific. Note how the words of that very description roll and swell. 
he pressed on, but in vain. And that sentence, too, is stopped short. The sea roared, and as with the shock of an earthquake, it split and cracked. And the action is echoed in the sounds, shock, split, crack. I suspect none of this was consciously done. I think this astonishingly precocious teenage girl, who also had the benefit of growing up in a home where she heard, among other things, recitations by Coleridge, had an instinctive and uniquely gifted feel for language. This was just one example. I could have taken one from every page. Finally, in the catalogue of cinematic scenes, we can now include the graveyard. That scene is alive in my mind with grand and haunting life. I will read it to you here once more, and as I do, paint a picture. As night approached, I found myself at the entrance of the cemetery, where William, Elizabeth, and my father reposed. I entered it and approached the tomb which marked their graves. Everything was silent, except the leaves of the trees which were gently agitated by the wind. The night was nearly dark, and the scene would have been solemn and affecting even to an uninterested observer. The spirits of the departed seemed to flit around and cast a shadow, which was felt but not seen, around the head of the mourner. The deep grief which this scene had at first excited quickly gave way to rage and despair. They were dead, and I lived. Their murderer also lived, and to destroy him I must drag out my weary existence. I knelt on the grass and kissed the earth. I was answered through the stillness of night by a loud and fiendish laugh. It rang on my ears long and heavily. The mountains re-echoed it, and I felt as if all hell surrounded me with mockery and laughter. Surely in that moment I should have been possessed by frenzy and have destroyed my miserable existence, but that my vow was heard and that I was reserved for vengeance. The laughter died away when a well-known and abhorred voice, apparently close to my ear, addressed me in an audible whisper. I am satisfied, miserable wretch. You have determined to live, and I am satisfied. When I read scenes like these, I am deeply satisfied.'"